0: Bigger Than Cape Give me some outside oh,
1: me. yeah. yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to it and then I watched it Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and this week I'm joined by Will. How are you doing, Will?
2: Good. Howdy, buddy.
1: I'm good, man. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm pretty good. That seemed really insincere when I asked how you're doing, but I yeah.
2: It's all right. My my answer is insincere. <laughs> I'm actually awful.
1: Ah, good, good. All right, well, balancing <laughs> was, the scales of where we're, we're at in life. Good. Um, so this week we're talking about licensed comics and our top five ish of yeah
2: i think it's a loose top five i'm not sure we're going to commit ourselves to saying these are the top five best licensed books but they're certainly top five that um are interesting and i think are pretty good for new fans like getting into some of these things
1: yes um i will say up front that due to a forthcoming episode we have omitted teenage mutant ninja turtles the best of all licensed products. The best of all products. Kind of, yeah. I've read Take that white sliced bread. <laughs> I've read like a hundred issues of the Turtles ongoing and all the tie-ins and everything this year, and I've had a great time doing it. Obviously, we're going to dig into this more in next week's episode. Mm-hmm. But Turtles is the best of things, and. Yeah. Unfortunately, everything else does pale in comparison, so this is going to be a really... (laughs) Um, But, yeah, Reading Turtles has been rad, and I think it's piqued my interest in putting more time into some Um, of the other licensed comics out there. I don't know if I'm going to dedicate, like, five months of my life to all of them, but mm -hmm. who knows? I... (laughs) I, I am apparently very impulsive and somewhat stupid. So
2: maybe you'll pick up another one today, yeah. To uh, to do an equally ludicrous dive,
1: the deepest of dives, if you will.
2: The deepest. Some of some of them are at least as long uh,
1: as turtles. I think some of them are longer. I think I think uh, some yeah. some stuff I've got at least is. Uh... Yeah, perhaps not true of my list, but yeah, some of it definitely. Um, I I do wonder now if I should have researched when all these comics started so I could throw some facts at people. I've not done that, so...
2: Yeah, I'll be honest, that wasn't part of
1: my thought either. I just kind of... uh, Hmm. Well, we'll uh, we'll just wing it and, you know. We'll we'll edit this bit out, maybe, if it makes us sound incompetent. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely does. Um, So do you want to dive straight in, or have you got some news and facts and trivia to throw around or? <laughs> uh
2: facts and trivia uh the only thing is i saw that um comic book sales have increased in france um and that is that Which is is
1: saying without
2: something. <laughs> well it's without their annual uh asterix book having come out yet so there has been an increase in non-asterix reading material and i am a fairly recent convert although it didn't it didn't take me that much to convert to euro comics yes um, yeah, yeah so as you know part of the american industry i think is beginning to struggle um i think the euro industry is getting better so just keep translating those books for us idiots who can only read the one language and uh i'll keep buying them
1: i am this is one of the things, with, with the translations, it, it is incredibly frustrating to be sat here in England and know that if I want to read European comics, I either have to go through them panel by panel with the, like, Google Translate app, or get wait for them to be translated by Dark Horse, Onipress, Press, Boom, Image. So I don't like the idea that I have to wait for Americans to acknowledge Spanish, French, Italian creators, just so I can read them when it's like, I can go to Spain and buy the book and sit there painstakingly read it, sure, but...
2: Yeah, and there are a few, like I think humanoids translate some of their own work. They do, that's true. And I think the Titan British comic company, they do they do some translation or at least publish
0: some do, translated
2: yeah. works I think. So I think there are some options, but I know what you mean, like it is a shame that yeah, in order for us to enjoy it it has to actually be sellable to an american audience first and we just
1: we just pick up the crumbs yes i mean don't me wrong it's the same with like comics yeah in general (laughs) general. and like like manga more manga gets translated to again french spanish italian than gets translated to english which is disappointing because it's then we get manga filtered through america to what england are allowed so, <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. yeah, it seems annoying. How hard is how hard are they as written languages? Because I've tried to learn languages, but I'm 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 dumb, so it hasn't <laughs> worked.
1: But I have been working on learning Spanish for some months now, probably since the start of the year, and I'm getting to the point now where I can read stuff and like translate enough to think I understand. So that's okay. So I'm so getting get the there. gist. Um like there was the whole panel in uh, Bebop and Rock Said he Hit the Road with uh Hector Razmataz, the like monster hunter guy where he, he does like a whole two speech bubble conversation in Spanish. Yeah. I I understood most of that. Nice. So I didn't <laughs> uh, you've re- you've read more titles than I have, because you read the Spanish bits. By two speech bubbles, um pulling ahead. <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, I don't know, it, it, if you've got the dedication, ultimately if you pick up French, you'll be able to have the most European comics because they all seem to get published in French first.
2: France does seem to be the the capital of uh, of European comics.
1: No, that's cool. Can, uh, I might yeah. be able to learn some French. If you do French, I'll do Spanish. We'll get Matt and... Ha. Uh, between Matt and Angela, do you think they can crack Italian and we'll... Is that the other big... No big German comic makers, or this is something I've been meaning to look into because I know. Okay, when I went to Madrid and Barcelona, that there's like a ridiculous amount of comic book shops, but I only found one when I was in Berlin. So I'm kind of curious if if there's yeah, maybe it's just not a big scene. They had a really cool Spider Woman T-shirt that didn't fit me. That's I think the moral. That was the moral of the story: of don't go chasing waterfalls Garmin i don't know <laughs> stick to the i don't know i don't know how to make this tlc song work you'll have to edit it back in later once you've thought about it more and i will think about it more that's the important thing <laughs> <to it. laughs>
2: we'll be able to sleep
1: stay up all night writing alternative tlc lyrics um i guess it, could, it probably wouldn't be the first time to be fair it's the kind of the life that's i've been the living it keeps me up at night Um, incidentally, if, if you were wondering, TLC, their albums really hold up, especially like the kind of late nineties stuff, just still good. (laughs) That's what the listener at home was thinking. Um, incidentally, if you weren't thinking that hit us up on Twitter, uh, at bigger than capes on Facebook, I don't know, Google, like search bigger than capes on Facebook and, um. Also Instagram, bigger than capes and biggerthancapes.com where allegedly you can comment, but no one does. know,
2: <laughs> That's sad.
1: I'm um, running a kind of study of my own at the moment of trying to figure out if there's any crossover between podcast listeners and website views. At the moment I'm not mm-hmm. sure there is.
2: <laughs> well I've got to be honest, I get my podcast through an app, so I don't I don't visit a website and if I had to and things weren't all collected for me in one
1: simple app, I probably wouldn't just wouldn't listen to it. Yeah, that's fair. And, um, you know, if, if people do want to hear Angela have, you know, breakdowns over Valiant Comics in written form, if you want to hear that in written form, yeah, um, that is available at com.
2: Yeah, it's part of our Patreon. He pays £50 and will come and read
1: out articles <laughs> at your house. I, I, I will set up that Patreon. If that's, if, if that's what it takes. Um, I I will gladly do personalized episodes where we just talk at you.
0: Love it.
1: Um, Should we get to the point, do you reckon? Or are we like... Let's get to it. Let's get right <laughs> to that point. So, we've both compiled a loose top five list i'm sure yeah. all five books that we've picked top series that we've picked a pretty move aroundable at, mm-hmm. at any yeah. given time um you want to go like reverse order like five four three two one or... i think that's the best way to go about it incidentally i did not write my notes in order so this could get interesting with my entries <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. I'm and expects that. me to argue with myself. I need to stop doing written notes. I think that's key. because so, then I can copy and paste. the The problem with me doing written notes is I need glue and scissors to copy and paste.
2: So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old fashioned copy and pasting.
1: Old school, like they would have made us do it. Primary school, secondary. I don't. I don't remember I hope education. You know, I hope you
2: cutting out and sticking things at secondary school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it probably was. To be fair, it yeah, well, graphic, I think, graphic I we did design, did a which bit. was basically just that.
1: I tried to make a CD cover in graphics that was a padlock, um, and yeah, did a did an awful lot of cutting and sticking to try and make a proof of concept that it could work. And I was wrong. Could it, it? Could, yeah. No, not really. No, it's. <laughs> it, <laughs> Real style over substance, the CD case ended up being about twice the size of the actual CD, and ultimately, once it was open, seems to be nowhere to f- fasten it again, but it looked rad, and that's... Super cool. That's, that's, that's what's, what's most important. I'm not entirely sure what I was meant to be doing for the project, I just know I reinvented the CD case in a new, I want to say cool way, but I don't think it ever was, well, that's... I think
2: that was part of the the syllabus. Reinvent the CD case in a cool way.
1: <laughs> just, I just failed it. Obviously, you know. Um, so it goes. Here we are. <laughs> School days. <laughs> so um, you want you want to go first with your? Uh, in-
2: sure, I'll go first. Um, my first pick uh, is from Dynamite Publishing. I have picked it at number five because it is slightly problematic, Uh, and I'll come back to that momentarily. But that pick is the James Bond series. Okay, Um, it's a type of Bond which is based much much more closely on the book and kind of Ian Fleming's original version rather than any of the film versions that have come out. Um, The art was a originally done by Jason Masters and was later done by Rafa Labosco. And they both tend to go for um, a much closer representation, of kind of how Bond was described in the books and how Fleming described it himself. And they're quite like fairly dark and serious in tone. You know, they're not, they're not your kind of Roger Moore Bond. They're, um, He's quite a kind of cold and calculating character. He's also, you know, still doesn't lack any of that charm.
1: Mm.
2: Um, Um, and I think they're good as well because as a standalone kind of read, you wouldn't need to know a huge amount about the universe of bond. You know, they stand, they stand as they are. The element which is problematic is that the first two volumes were written by Warren Ellis. Okay. Um, who is uh, far from being a popular man right now. Um, I don't think we're necessarily the forum to get into that, but I still think it's worth mentioning that, yeah, Warren Ellis has has uh, behaved extremely poorly of late and there's lots on the internet to go and read about it. But even the people who accused Warren Ellis said they didn't want him to be cancelled. And so for that reason, I've decided to still include it on the list. Okay, um, And of course, Listeners at home, you can make your own decisions, but I would probably encourage you to do a bit of research into uh, Warren Ellis if you don't know. But now it's later been picked up by Benjamin Percy, who uh, writes the later volumes and I think is the ongoing writer now. Mm-hmm. And you can read them uh, standalone as well. Um, so yeah, that's my number five. Uh, I'd recommend it for anybody who's into like spy thrillers, Um it's probably going to be one of the more mature adult things that are on my list today. And uh and of course any fans of Bond, particularly like classic Bond as
1: well. I I think that's a, a pretty good call. Um I haven't actually read any of Bond. I've read I've read many things that are inspired by Bond. Sure. <laughs> um so I read um some of was it called jimmy's bastards jimmy's but, bastards yeah the garth ennis one yeah i started reading that when it started happening which i'm going to say was 2016 2017 it's a good guess as i can give you and also some of no some of all of i read all of um bang the matt Kinton book that had like kind yeah. of a bond thing at least in some issues um uh, both of them thought to myself, "Should I just read some Bond? Do I just need?" Some? <laughs>
2: well, I think much like any kind of popular franchise character, his influence has like is bled into loads of other stuff. And as you say, the I mean, I think Ninjak is a is a Batman Bond very good example of crossover. Um, but I have read uh, I have read some of the some of the Dynamite books, including the Warren Ellis stuff, which I must say from a purely like, comics perspective are very good. Dynamite are a company that I have a mixed relationship with. Um, yes, as do I. Because <laughs> if I'm entirely honest, I'm not sure their quality control is very good. <laughs> like, I think they put out some really great stuff, and I think they put out some stuff which uh, sometimes I think has been um, a bad idea
1: bad call yeah, yeah and i i often feel like as a company they spend a couple of years trying to win over the classic kind of audience of like a- everyone that you expect to read like red Sonia and vampirella and mm-hmm. um greenhorn <laughs> yeah i feel like they chase they, they spend a couple of years chasing like the audience that have been reading that that those series for like 30 years. And then they spend a couple of years hiring writers and artists that really appeal to me to try and make those characters appeal to us and mm-hmm. you know the the our generation and try and do things like the reboot, the gold key characters are a great example. So Magnus, Doctor Spectre, Solar Solar Turok. Turok, thank you. Um I feel like there's another one, but I don't have time to list characters I can't remember yeah. right now. And I feel like they're, they do, like, a really good run where it's, like, Fred Van Lente, Greg Pak, um Mark Wade were all brought in and did quite good runs, and then they go away, and then they come back, and they um, bring in people like Kyle Higgins to... Uh, other such names. I can't remember who wrote these damn books to try and like renovate them and ha- make them So Magnus went from being a robot fighter, a robot fighting dude dressed like Zap Brannigan to being a jumpsuit wearing woman who kind of hacked into robots brains and tried to stop rogue AIs in this weird digital Johnny world. Quest style. Yes. And Sounds that rad. I'm on board. It, it, it was really good. One volume, no more Magnus. And then we go back to like Turok being problematic and <laughs> outdated. And <laughs> yeah. Wow. I can't remember what my point was, but I feel like I've just ran down. <laughs> yeah. Diamond I
2: mean, for a I think, uh, um, I think it was all fair though. So, but as far as it goes, I think you might have said diamond as well when you went dynamite, but,
1: I, I could have done that. I also... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the problem with Diamond, you know... <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different rant. <laughs>
1: um.
2: But uh,
1: the Bond books are good. And
2: because Dynamite, unlike Marvel and DC, their books don't cross over. You don't need to read anything else if mm. you don't want to. Um, but worth noting that the boys after DC dropped it was uh, picked up and ultimately published to completion by Dynamite after second volume, I think. Yeah, it must be thereabouts, right? Give or take. So the very popular TV show was, was a Dynamite property.
1: And to, to be fair, my complaints aside, there are some really good Dynamite books. It just mm. can, can vary as to when I want them and if they appear to
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, there's somebody. They're a company I like to dip in and out of, but when they get it right, it's really right.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And maybe I will get around to my Bond now that I've read all the alternative versions of Bond. (laughs) Maybe it's time, Will. Maybe I... (laughs) Maybe. Maybe now's the time. Um, So my fifth pick, I think, was also going to be your fifth pick originally. And we would have had an overlap here. And my fifth pick is Transformers. Indeed. Um, I started... You're going to hear this sentence a few times tonight. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. or today or whenever podcasts aren't time specific just just the recordings um i started trying to make a list of who wrote transformers and drew transformers and realized that it's like a massive list of like it's a billion people it's not one of those
2: licenses that
1: was helmed by
2: like one or two people um it's been yeah it's been tackled by
1: a billion creators yes and it's been kind of rehashed and i think we're on Uh, I want to say we're on like phase three or phase four now of Transformers. So there was the 2005 series, the 2010 series, the 2019 series, I think there's there's ample jumping on points for for Transformers from my understanding. Um, I'm not sure where I jumped on (laughs) and I, um, the reason Transformers is fifth on this list is um, because I do have a kind of love-hate with the overall experience of Transformers. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are not aware, Transformers are like vehicles that turn into robots.
2: I mean, if you were born at any time from about <laughs> 1985 to, to now, I think you will probably know. I,
1: I, I do hope, though, that there's someone out there listening who I've just explained that to and it's blown their mind. Like
2: They only have a new bots.
1: Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There was a second option. A better um, option. I actually think GoBots are now owned by Hasbro as well. So they they I think they have the option of like folding GoBots into the Hasbro universe and are just resisting it. I think it's wise <laughs> continue to resist Hasbro. Um so okay. The traditional storyline of the Transformers is that uh, Bumblebee comes to Earth and makes friends with Shia LaBeouf and mm-hmm. hilarity ensues um, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf says
2: do it then Bumblebee does it and,
1: and it's done <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I remember Anyway, that was a really dumb joke and I <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about making it but I also stand by it uh, justice for Sam Witwicky um, <laughs> Okay, sorry. I'm going to try and get us back to my point. I should have known I wasn't capable of having a serious conversation about Transformers, but here we are. And um, Okay. The traditional story is that the Autobots and the Decepticons are at war over Cybertron. And that's basically kind of the, the entirety of what's going on. It's this endless war between good and evil between cars and planes between
2: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it is funny how uh, most of the bad guys tend to be tend to be planes um yes. and the good guys tend to be wheeled vehicles there is a there is a seems to be a conscious effort to like pick one or the other
1: yeah and I, i've never been sure why and okay like obviously megatron turns into a tank or a gun or a T Rex, slightly more variation, but and Soundwave was a cassette player. Of course, the the best somehow. I don't know why, but his cassettes would turn into like a
2: a vulture and a panther. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. yeah, yeah. They would, they would and that's rap. that's just cooler than it's uh, giant ones as well. This is the thing: the the fact that Soundwave wasn't just cassette player sized; he was giant robot yeah. sized. He'd be a normal sized
2: cassette player, or he'd be bigger than a house. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, no, no divide.
2: What's the? <laughs> is it called like mass displacement? Was that their their pseudo scientific
1: explanation yeah.
2: about? I love it. I love it. Just give it a silly name like Star Trek, and
1: I buy into it. What, what questions can we even ask? It just we've been told. Yep, the mass is displaced, obviously. And you know what? As as far as science goes, <laughs> fair play. Um, yeah. So I, I have a kind of love hate relationship with transformers because i i read some books which are quite standalone so like um there was the wreckers trilogy which is since the wreckers last Stand of the wreckers and requiem of the wreckers which is the one i struggle to say the most yeah Um, best best named which kind of focuses around i guess like the suicide squad of transformers of the so they're like the Autobots who might not be coming back from their missions. They're like Black Ops, Suicide Squad guys. Um, And quite a lot of their trilogy focuses on kind of, you know, the war crimes of the Autobots. And the fact that, you know, obviously they're trying to keep that undercover because now peace has been achieved. And if it comes out that they actually did all these horrible things, you know, peace goes away. So, it's an interesting, weird trilogy that kind of stands alone from what's going on in the bigger Transformers world. But yeah, much like with Turtles, there's a lot of mini series that you can kind of take or leave. But if you take, it adds a lot. And if you leave, well, you'll never know. Um, <laughs>
2: But I think because, I mean, as you mentioned, because it's kind of this forever war and it's been going on for millennia and will probably go on for millennia more and you have these yeah. sort of semi, semi-immortal semi machines that, that are fighting this war. It means that they can tell stories over a massive timeline. So I've read stories that are back on before Cybertron becomes a kind of war-torn ruin and they have yeah. to go out in the galaxy to find energon. I've read the stories when um, they arrive at Earth and befriend Shia LaBeouf or another human, whichever human they so desire. Um, And, you know, you get almost espionage stories where they're trying to hide amongst people and hide from the Decepticons. And I think you get some more like space hopping ones where, uh, was it part of the 2019 series that half of the crew had gone off on a spaceship and had like space adventures
1: yeah i think that was 2019 and then does that pave the way for like the beast wars series we're getting now which i haven't read but i am the target audience for beast wars i think yeah (laughs) yeah
2: me too uh but i think because they've got such a huge cast of characters and because their outline of their story is so simple is i think you can keep telling loads of interesting stories within that paradigm you know you can kind of keep telling loads of different stories as you say the one with the wreckers where you question the autobots there's lots in there where you are shown that actually you know what maybe the autobots aren't all that and maybe the decepticons are onto something (laughs) like maybe they do have some points to be made yeah and i think that complexity of writing in what is essentially um a, a toy advert I think is superb. I think that's where these licensed books really stand out above some of their competition is they are much better than they ever deserve
1: to have been. Yeah, definitely. And I think there are, so so the love hate thing comes from, for me, comes from the fact that there are times when some of it's bad. I, I, I don't think I've read anything that's like explicitly bad, but I think there are times when I pick up transformers and it feels like a very dense universe and I I know people who are into Transformers who have read everything, who have watched everything, who have all, okay, maybe not all the toys, because that's, like, you know, millions of pounds worth of plastic and melt, and, man, when the toys were die-cast, they were cool. Um, But I I know plenty of people who are, like, deep, deep into Transformers, and maybe that's the thing. that The the comic does at times edge on... Acknowledging that audience so it as narratively it can become as dense as those people want it to be, where and acknowledge whatever weird and wonderful Transformers toy they once loved or character. And I think that's one of the things that, whilst I've watched on and off a lot of Transformers and I've seen the films and the original series and was it Armada and then Robots in Disguise that were like the late 90s series? I think so. Uh, there's been a, a most recent Netflix one. Which I've not watched yet, but probably let's... History that's suggests beautiful. I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's the thing. Whilst I've watched a decent amount of Transformers and all of Beast Wars and Beast Machines, obviously. That's, that's my age group. Um, I, I feel like I perhaps don't know the most. And I think that's why I sometimes struggle with picking up Transformers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you are super I read, into it...
2: Yeah, then there's <laughs> plenty to dig into. But I read some of the um, spotlights early on, which mm. were like one issue focuses on in, like individual characters. And that was a super good way to get into the world because you learn a bunch of characters, most of which, as you say, if you've, if you know Transformers, you'll know Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, possibly like Jazz... An Ultra Magnus, and some of those like, RC. slightly B-tier, but, yeah, RC, perhaps. Um, but you get all of these introductions to these different characters, and they are often spaced out again across the timeline. So not only do you get to learn the characters, but it often tells you something intrinsic about the lore of Transformers. So, yes. my recommendation would normally be, check out some of the spotlights. I think they're collected in individual trades and also as part of the huge ultimate what are they called it's the same editions that turtles the
1: IDW collections i think yeah well whereas turtles is currently 12 13 giant collections i think transformers goes beyond that because we have phase 1 and then phase 2 and mm-hmm. they now just keep coming phase 3 yeah, yeah.
2: But yeah, from, from the bits I've read, I've always, I've always pretty dug it. Like, I think the designs are cool. They are pretty um, kind of toy and cartoon accurate.
1: Which yeah. For
2: my little nostalgia brain, like, works for me. <laughs> Ticks the boxes.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think there will be, for a lot of people in our age group, that little glimpse when you're reading through where you'll be like, hey, I had this toy. <laughs> Absolutely. I Which mean, is nice. had
2: is a had is a relevant term because I still, still have. have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Failed to get rid of. Can, don't don't know what I'd do with it. Optimus gets pride of place on the top shelf. <laughs> I am. Um, I can't find my original Optimus. I've just got this little tiny guy version that's like about four or five inches tall, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I know there's a giant Optimus Prime around here somewhere, but where? Yeah. Transformers, man. They're fun.
2: But also great bad guys as well. Megatron, Galvatron, Omicron?
1: Unicron? Yeah. Was it Unicron? I think it was Unicron. Uh, yeah,
2: Unicron. Unicron.
1: Um, and then, you know, uh, Beast Wars Megatron, where he was a T Rex, uh, Waspinator, where he just wanted oh. to.
2: It's just Starscream, but now nah, I'm a wasp. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, oh, what's the twist? It's like, it's a wasp. Like, all oh, right, okay, right. That, that, that's, that adds up. Like, anything else? No, no. Exactly the same kind of character, but in wasp form. To that point,
2: though, characters like Starscream, I think, often get written better in some of these comics and are a bit more complicated rather than just being the whiny number two. Like to Megatron, he's kind of got ideals of, uh, of leadership and, and wanting yeah. to uh, usurp, but and he's also terrified like of Megatron. At,
1: yeah, and that's like something that's hinted at in cartoons and stuff, but when you can actually commit to, like, I don't know, narration from his point of view or like scheming in the background, it's a totally different way of doing it.
2: And sometimes you'll get over the course of volumes, like plots that have been put into play early on. By Starscream will then ruin the Decepticons' plan later on when it, yeah, like when the Autobots need a Deus Ex Machina, Starscream's
1: there to ruin everybody's fun. I think it's good, it's good stuff. It is good stuff, and um, it is something I, I have considered that now the Great Turtles reread is over. I, I was considering, like, should I do all of Transformers? Uh-oh. That's, um, uh, that's a commitment, I, I think. Uh, my uh, lack of finances might be the answer to this question, though. Yeah,
2: I don't know why I might. <laughs> why, why am I doing that?
1: Stop C- it! Come back in six months' time for Will's roundup episode where he talks about all of Transformers. Yeah, I'll just
2: be—I'll be incredibly tired, and then Optimus went to the went back to Cybertron where he. Oh
1: God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, why? Oh. Uh. I can't imagine what you would be like having read, like, I don't know, ten years' worth of Transformers.
2: Probably start up my own cult or something.
1: Teachings of Cybertron.
2: I'm trying to espouse to everybody or listen to me why Rodimus Prime is the real Prime.
1: <laughs> right, just episode one. All of the Primes in order of how Prime they are. Number one. <laughs> Who's the Primest Prime? done the math to figured it out um would you like to hit us with your number four absolutely
2: <laughs> so my number four comes from the same company because guess what idw do loads of licensed stuff so that they do they're gonna come up more than uh more than once today i wanted to get in a uh an example of how video games frequently cross over into comic books I think we get it a lot in terms of standalone little fillers of information. So I know that overwatch has a kind of 10 or 12 issue run. Yeah. And things like bloodborne and assassins creed tend to get spin-off comics and mm-hmm. fine. But the one that I've picked out and one that I think stands above many of the rest is Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. Yes. Um, so it's, of course, a comic set in the kind of expanded universe of, of, of Sonic and his uh, animal-based chums. Um, I think it's most comparable to sort of the 90s cartoon mm. era of Sonic. I think that's where it gets a lot of its look from. But things are very kind of computer game and early cartoon accurate. You know, places look like the Green Hill Zone where they live. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the stories tend to be pretty light-hearted adventures, normally revolving around like a chaos gem or Doctor Eggman. Which was it? Just me, or was it a UK thing that he was Doctor Robotnik?
1: It, it seems like it was a UK thing that he was Robotnik. I'm not sure why. The Beatles? Maybe Are they were the Eggman. Cuckoo, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Um,
2: But I think the script in it is 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 consistently funny and like snappy. Um, And there's also, like, a it's one of those comics with a real undercurrent of heart. You know, there's always, like, a a good message just about being better friends. Um, But all the characters have their own, like, individual personalities as well. And, again, we'll probably reference it quite a lot. But like the Turtles, they fit nicely into a little team together. So I think in the first volume, you're immediately introduced to Sonic, Tails, Knuckles... Amy. um, And I can't remember that. There's a couple of other, like, newer characters whom I just can't remember their name off the top of my head. But you get the band together pretty quick, and they all sort of fit into this nice little team together where they bounce off each other. Mm. Uh, The arts and the color, in particular, is super vivid. There's no attempt to kind of take it down that darker tone that the video game sort of ended up going. Um, poorly. But a bit like the TMNT universe, it brings together lots of different bits of the Sonic universe from the various games, including Shadow and Metal Sonic, who were radical 90s and early 2000s characters. Radical 90s is perhaps
1: the best way to describe the 90s, I think. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh I think this is a really good one for all ages as well I I think the stories are strong enough and they're funny enough that an adult can can read them and get loads out of them but they are kind of gentle and lovely enough that I think kids would also get a huge kick um does hmm. that thing that I think when like pixar are at their best where it is aimed at children but it has kind of that nod to the parents as well. Um, Yes. And I don't think it's ever, it's never like lewd, you know, it's never, never get crossed into that area, but it's funny as an adult as well. Like the humor is
1: just, just good stuff. Yeah. I think that's fair. I, I must admit, I've not dipped into the Sonic comics. um, Perhaps as much as I will do at some point, let's be honest. Um, It's, I've always been a Sonic guy based purely on the games. I've seen some of the cartoon when I was younger. But I know... That, well, this just sounds like a catchphrase now. I know plenty of people who were really into the Sonic Sonic the comic from, like... The, the Archie. 90s. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the Archie
1: comic. Um, I've
2: got to say, like... Yeah, the one I've picked out is the IDW because it's the one I'm familiar with. But I have heard real good stuff about the Archie one as well.
1: Yeah. And obviously, you know, that was licensed too, just by different people. Um, I do actually know that, um, uh, is it, I think it's Sonic 42, which is out soon, if not already out, is the, uh, 30th anniversary of Sonic. 30th anniversary,
2: yeah.
1: And at least, I think it's one of the variant covers is, um, Abby, uh, Ryder, Ryder Bulmer by Abby, who worked in Travelling Man in Manchester. She's done oh. one of the covers for it. Nice. She's pretty cool she's yeah, super rad she's one of the most hardcore sonic fans i know as well so it seems like you know pretty fitting that um, is awesome yeah it's really cool and i, I think i think at some point i'm going to get into sonic i know for better or for worse idw have just solicited i don't think it's out yet they'll like pre-order it first hardback of first of their
2: idw collection <laughs> i uh, you've and, got a problem, man, but I love it. I'm going to feed that
1: problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I don't know if you're part of the issue, if I'm honest with you, Will. I don't know if it's you who's got me into this, like, giant hardback thing, I have just both I, gotten in it at the same time.
2: I really, well, I, it's my leaning into digital comics. If I buy something physical, I want it to be the best physical version it can be. Yeah. And I think that's where the hardback bit comes in. But I'm super into the idea of, like, big physical collections of stuff, particularly these, the IDW ones have really nice spines on them for the most part as well. That's true. Look really, really nice on shelves. The problem is I just, I don't really have the room for it. So I'm buying them vicariously through you by just slowly encouraging you to buy them all. Maybe you can take a picture of them all on your shelf and send them. And I've kind of of,
1: print them up and hang them in front of your shelves.
2: Yeah. Just stick them up and then not have to do any of the actual investment myself, but you know, get the
1: pleasure from it. That's the plan. Great, thanks, Will. <laughs> I'll you're get right on welcome.
2: that. <laughs> but also, for the sake of my reputation, I need everybody to know that I'm actually a hardcore Nintendo fan, and Mario's better than Sonic. Just not in comics.
1: Incidentally, I'm fairly sure Valiant did some licensed Mario comics in the nineties. Yeah, I don't think. They're, I'm not sure they're great.
2: <laughs> These ones are good though, <laughs> and um, Mario games are the best. Just, to, just again, reaffirm that position.
1: See, I, I've always walked a tough line of um, having Mario on Game Boy, but then having Sonic on uh, Mega Drive when I was a kid. So that was, mm-hmm. which side do you come down on? You know,
2: well, it's so fair to say, you, Mario. Yeah, uh, and the reason for that, and the only reason for that, is because I had Nintendos. Yes, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't play Sonic growing up, so that's why Mario's the best. Interesting. Also, who's still around? Just saying.
1: Hey, in comic book form, Sonic. <laughs> Sega still publish games, I guess, but... True. I, I, I distinctly remember, and this is like a very 90s memory, coming home from school one day where my dad had been, I don't know, off for whatever reason, and he sat on the floor, and he's like, don't touch the Mega Drive. I'm like, what? And he's like, I've never got this far into Sonic before no one can touch the mega drive <laughs> and it being like the most definitive moment of like all right this is who you are when no one else is around just the guy who's tr- <laughs> who's never played this much sonic in one sitting and that's wonderful i always used to just get to the underwater bits straight dad no no hesitation oh, just- awful awful even as an adult, I, I assumed it was something I was going to get better at, but as an adult, I've not got any better at underwater levels. Doesn't matter what... It, Sonic, Mario, Crash Bandicoot, I'm still not good at being underwater. Incidentally, in real life, I also don't think I could fight things underwater very well.
2: i be honest. with the underwater <laughs> levels, levels on ice, and levels where you fly something that like has mm. to have a huge turning circle.
1: I'm, I'm out. Oh. 2D all the way, me. At any, <laughs> any level and this is very much a naughty dog thing any level that puts me on a jet ski mm-hmm. mm, no I, doesn't matter if it's if it's crash or uh nathan drake doesn't matter what character i am or what the environment is i am bad at jet skis probably in real life also so
2: at least crash has the good temerity to put you on a tiny polar bear
1: yeah you know at least it's got moments where it's like, we am going to balance this out with a polar bear. But there are also th- those moments where they put me on a jet ski. Mm-mm, no, we can't do business with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> they don't move right, man. <laughs> they just
2: don't move right.
1: <laughs> All, All right.
2: right, what's your number
1: four, buddy? I'm just thinking about how much I hate jet skis. Uh, <laughs> 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 My number four is... An interesting one because I'm not entirely sure how applicable this is to being licensed, but I'm just am right. just gonna run with it and you're either gonna agree or disagree. That's them's the brakes. So Star Wars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's coming out through Marvel. It is. Marvel are not part. Marvel are not Star Wars, but Disney are Star Wars, and Disney are also Marvel. So, is Star Wars licensed to Marvel? Or Well, I think
2: technically... It's a a good question, and one I think... I don't know how to answer. Um, Yeah, Disney owned both properties, but it doesn't come out through Disney publishing. It comes out through Marvel publishing. So, for the purpose of this list, yeah. Go for it. Um, But I'm actually going to throw my two cents in. I'm going to chuck my number three in at the same time. Because as it would happen...
1: Mess it with the format, Will. I have picked,
2: again from IDW, so not messing that hard with the format. But IDW also license a small portion of Star Wars. And a small portion of Marvel as well. Um, So I'm going to... I'll let you do your Star Wars pitch first, but I'm going to I'll throw these in at the same Piggy, time. Piggy
1: back onto my Marvel Star Wars. Damn right. Segment. So I was going to try and throw a year at you then for when I think these started. And I don't know what that year is. Is it 2015, do you reckon? 2016? Give or take. Yeah. Cracking. So <laughs> five-ish years ago, um, Marvel kind of took over all the Star Wars books. Previously, Dark Horse had been doing Star Wars for quite a long time, I think. Um, But I haven't read any of those, so deal with it. Um With Star Wars, their first big push from Marvel was to do... Uh, so Jason Aaron took on Star Wars and did a series that fit between... A New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back. And at the same time, so that followed Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, other such characters are available, the Rebels. And Kieran Gillen at the same time did Vader, Darth Darth Vader to his, you know, (laughs) employees, which followed um, Darth Vader and the Empire between New Hope and Empire. So we got to see the same events unfolding kind of from two different sides. And Mm.
2: was there a Boba Fett book at the same time?
1: Yes, where
2: he wasn't he after Luke.
1: Yeah, Vader hires Boba Fett to find out who Luke is because he just knows that he's, you know, a Jedi and we can't be having that. And then Boba Fett goes and interacts with the Star Wars plot and then turns up in later parts of Vader to kind of like go, hey, this, I think this is your kid, mate. But obviously Vader, <laughs> obviously, he doesn't know Vader's Anakin and Vader's all like Skywalker. and Makes sense. But it, whilst not the most necessary, it fills in a lot of story between the two films. And... I like that. It really piques my interest in Star Wars. I think because I it's it's hard being a Star Wars fan sometimes. I Absolutely, think. it's hard being.
2: Uh, yeah, I think any type of franchise will always disappoint you at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think while turtles, they never. Yeah, that well, Yeah perfection through, through and through I, th- I think one of the problems i've had with star wars is i was like 10 ish when the f- the prequels came out mm-hmm. well the first one obviously i didn't stay 10 for like nine years <laughs> so that would be insane um <laughs> so i i just saw phantom menace as just a good thing because it was more star wars and mm-hmm. as a 10 year old that's all i wanted in the world for What? Sure. Was- wasn't so hot on Attack of the Clones, um, which is still my feelings about Attack of the Clones. And mm-hmm. um, had a pretty okay time with Revenge of the Sith. And, yeah. and then and then spent the the 10 years after that, um, I'll give a take, being told the, how terrible all those films were and there was sure. no, no redeeming factors. And I'm like... Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon. Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Um, the oh. Clone Wars animated stuff. Mm-hmm. um. Which meant that by the time these comics were coming out, I was and we were announcing that we were going to get more Star Wars films. I was pretty down on the whole Star Wars thing because years of being told I was wrong all the time get do that to you. But I, I think the filling in the gaps really works and getting and being able to give people more of Boba Fett or Lando Calrissian and being able to do it with some of Marvel's kind of best writers, Jason Aaron, Kieran Gillen, Charles Soule. It's. it's Yeah. They're bringing in,
2: bringing in the big guns for it. And no, I'm like you, I think star Wars was a real childhood love for me. And, um, I went to see the re-release, the first digital re-release of the original films when they came out in sort of 97, eight and nine, I think, I think they came out in consecutive years. Um, and then as, as yourself went to see the prequels and, like you were saying, it didn't really matter to me that much at the time that they probably weren't like brilliant films through and through. It was just more Star Wars and Pod Racing is rad. Jar Jar Binks, jump off, jump off a bridge. But you know, a lot of it was a lot of it was good, and I don't care what the internet says. Yoda fighting, flipping about is the coolest thing.
1: Yeah, um, I, I actually. The end of Attack of the Clones between Yoda doing backflips and that one little bit where uh, Padme, Anakin, and Obi-Wan are chained to those podiums, and Obi-Wan's all like, seems like Padme's on top of this. Yeah, good stuff. Five stars.
2: Yeah, that's it. There are are moments, for sure. But to refer back to the comic, I think this run uh, is really fun, though I think it captures the characters really well. I think it is definitely one for people who are fairly hardcore star wars fans because it does fall in the middle of plots that you need to understand what's going on yes i don't think it's necessarily a great entry point having said that it's introduced some characters who have become kind of mainstays of at least the comic universe like dr afra
1: yeah definitely and um, it also gives stuff like the captain phasma book gave us more attention to a character people wanted in the films than the actual films did. So there's indeed there's definitely there's some stuff that's easier to jump on at than others. And you need to, you can get away with having seen less star Wars, but I I think you are right. There's also books that yeah, super niche. And as the line has expanded, they've gone into some areas that it's like, yeah, you need to have read a lot of, no, you need to have watched a lot of star Wars to grasp this idea. So I'm going to use that as
2: my platform to jump into IDW's Marvel and Star Wars adventures. Absolutely. Now, this opinion applies more to the Marvel side of things, but I think as time goes on, we'll apply more and more to the Star Wars side of things of these particular books. Mm -hmm. So IDW licensed these two properties, and they make uh, comic books aimed at a younger reading audience. They are self-contained little stories. Um, they're not released in singles. They're released purely in little volumes. And those volumes tend to be two or three kind of short stories. Mm-hmm. They're very cartoony in style as where some of the Marvel stuff, at least early on, went for a very photo-realistic style, tried to capture the actors. Um, this is much more like cartoony and, and, and simple. You don't need to know very much about the universes they're set in because they are so standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helps; that it just means the stories aren't tangled up with a kind of lighter, with a with a, a broad universe, um, because they're just these little yarns that you that are within uh, the universes that they're set in. And I think, especially for Marvel, I think when you're doing a kind of earnest superhero story. I think that's where it works the best of not not trying to tell too big <laughs> like too big a tale and just keeping it to sort of nice little moral adventures that they have I love as has come up many many times like subverted superhero stories, but they work because the writers kind of have the freedom to you know do whatever you want with these characters and they don't have to remain squeaky clean, or they don't have to Mm. end the story and be back to where they started. So I think when you're doing a real kind of straight down the line superhero adventure, I think that should be aimed at a younger audience, and I think that's these fill that hole. Um, So I think if you are out there and you're a big fan of the kind of film characters, or the Marvel characters, or the Star Wars characters, but don't necessarily want to get entrenched in a uh, soap opera of, of sorts, I think these are a really great alternative, um, to those, to those stories and still get your, your fix.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's something that I know Angela's into as well the um, Star Wars and Marvel adventures, and um, yeah, they, they all just look really fun. Which is is nice. It's nice to have the fun, lighthearted, easy-to-pick-up side of Marvel and Star Wars.
2: I think that's it. They're kind of they're low jeopardy, just quite daft and funny little adventures. But it's got all of the characters, all of the kind of bad guys. I think they already lean into the idea of diversity pretty early on. Mm. So the Spider-Man book, I don't know if it, it was from the very beginning, but... Is not just Peter Parker; it's Gwen Stacy and it's Miles Morales, as a minimum. Um, The Captain Marvel kind of side is Kamala Khan and Carol Danvers. Yeah, and you know, I I I just think they've made the decisions that Marvel are now starting to make, and I do kind of applaud them for when they when I think they try, Mm. (laughs) when they try and do it right. That's fair fair play to you, Marvel. Um, But I think here it's already, a lot of it's already there. I think they've, they've started fairly strong in that regard.
1: Yeah, I think you are definitely right on that one. I think it, it seems very well considered, which is nice. Mm.
2: Although yeah, well, one thing that the Marvel series has that the IDW one doesn't is when Darth Vader cracked the like glass of the uh, Star Destroyer while he was mad. And I True. saw in two different series. I think it's in the main yeah. Star Wars one and the Darth Vader one. And both times it's like, that's just rad.
1: That's just cool. <laughs> it is. The, to be fair, it is the most over the top Darth Vader at times. There's there's a point where he takes down an X-Wing by throwing a lightsaber at it. And...
2: <laughs> I really like him being kind of readdressed as this unstoppable machine. Because you always you, you get that throughout the films that that's what he is. But by its nature, you never really see that. Like the only time you see him fight is against Luke.
1: Yeah, because really. he, he just, you know, like hits Obi-Wan once and he disintegrates.
2: That's that's kind of it. Yeah, there's not there's not too much to it. So I think, yeah, when he's, you know, pulling ships out the sky with the force or just being a terrifying death machine, I think is super cool. Again, probably not in the IDW series, which is more kid-friendly. Keeping more of a Skeletor is fine <laughs> in that. Um, um, but I think, yeah, no, that, is a, that is a cool a cool thing that the Marvel comics have done, is making Darth Vader a much more terrifying villain, I think.
1: I think Terrifying Death Machine is also on the list of great band names that aren't happening yet. Oh, really pumping them out today. Yeah. Terrifying Death Machine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so does this mean it's my number three now? Is that what Yeah, we're um, I got in on that and stole that. I mean, you know, it works. Um, okay, so my number three is something you also know quite a lot about. So my number three is Power Rangers. Heck yeah. Um, there's been a few creators involved now. Um, writers are probably easier to run down than artists. Uh, writers... Uh, starts with Kyle Higgins, Steve Orlando. Um, definitely gets taken over for a while by Marguerite Bennett, I
0: think. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: oh so, yeah. There's a chunk of it that, like Matt Bloom, not Matt Bloom, Matt Groom. Matt Groom, Matt Bloom Groom. is a professional wrestler. Uh, Matt Groom did <laughs> some. some... some... Oh, we never know. Matt Groom did some. Uh, he was more of like backup stories that he wrote. Um, a lot of creators involved, and have I said it's Power Rangers yet? Did I? Yeah, yeah. Now you're in there. <laughs> I thought I just started listing creators, just like to see if we could figure this out. Yeah, um, yes. It's it's Boom Studios, and it is again. I want to say we're about five years deep into Power Rangers at this point. I think, yeah, yeah, plenty deep into Power Rangers now. Um. So initially, we had just Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. Uh we then had a series that was Go Go Power Rangers, and now I think the current incarnation is Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers I think, is where we're at now. Yes. Um is there also one called like Power Rangers Incorporated or something along those? Oh, there there could be. There's there's been a divergence in series in recent years. I'm not fully up to date because again, it's something that got away from me. Mm-hmm. Um the initial Mighty Morphin. Took place kind of around Power Rangers, the original series. I think is the best way yeah, to describe
2: so it, it. I mean, if if anybody knows the the mythos of Power Rangers, it kind of starts just the after the Green mythos, Ranger, if you will. Yeah, the might the, the Mighty Morphin mythos of Power Rangers. Uh, it starts just after the Green Ranger joins the team. So. Um, about so halfway through
1: uh, about, about halfway through the first season. The,
2: the, yeah, yeah, right? I think so. Something along something along those lines. As we're go-go Power Rangers, which did have a different uh, that was mostly written by Ryan Parrott, I think. And I think Yes, and fit in between episodes of Power Rangers. so I think Go Go Power Rangers continued the story directly from the T V show. So they were the T V show characters. Yes, continuing beyond the TV show, as where Mighty Morphin was a, is yeah, a, like a, an alternative take on yeah, who had got to a kind of similar point in their history when the when the comic picks up. Uh, they also made a Saban's Power Rangers, which was based on the most recent movie. Yes, they did. I did not read that, but
1: maybe I should. I just around uh, I,
2: I thought the movie was okay. Yeah, I am like, not going to go and sink really sing its praises but i thought it was i thought it was a fun take on uh on power rangers um but sticking with the mighty morphine i think specifically for the for the moment yeah i think it the art's super nice and i think boom of late have developed their own like boom house style do you think
1: yeah a little bit it's definitely shifted from uh when i think of boom kind of Pre Power Rangers, I think there was a lot of almost like image where the, or Dark Horse, where there was a lot of series that were like one volume and then perhaps not revisited. Uh, in more recent years, um, I think they've picked up a few more licenses and done things that are a little bit more kind of yeah, definitely in a certain style and have designed in a certain style. Yeah, I think sense. you're right. I think Power
2: Rangers are kind of the pinnacle of that, but I think Boom now have a kind of certain look. Like I think Magic: The Gathering, um, yeah, that we read for the for the podcast, I think has a similarish kind of look. I think there's a kind of a Boom style now, mm. but from the suits, the villains, the Zords, all look just right.
1: Yeah, and if, if you were into Power Rangers as a kid, there's a, or as an adult, let's be fair, if you were into Power Rangers at all, I think this is probably going to appeal to you on some level. Um, it has a lot of freedom that perhaps the show didn't, I think. Obviously, the show works in a limitation of taking clips from Super Sentai and then padding it out with teenagers in California. Um you're kind of restricted in how you can do that and what your villains can be and how they can behave. I think the benefit here is that Kyle Higgins kind of has the freedom to run wild, which Mm -hmm. is, is, I guess, kind of a dream if you were a Power Rangers fan as a kid, is to just do what you want with, you know, everything. And that's, I I think that's the, the fun thing here. And that gets us to... Uh, like the build-up to Shattered Grid, which is then like the big crossover event where all the subsequent Power Rangers kind of come crashing together in one huge, let's be honest, bitching event. It's just rad, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. But I think what something it's got, because it is it is a massive universe in, in its own right, and they are effectively superheroes. And they are also teenagers, and there's some of that classic kind Attitude. of school... Yeah. School angst and adolescent problems, um, which is very reminiscent of, you know, Teen Titans, Spider-Man, etc. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I mean, they don't have to go to school, to be fair, but <laughs>
1: <Touché. No>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um but I think what the Power Rangers universe has up on that is that it is a it's a fairly tight, continuous story and actually some of the Power Rangers kind of retire and are replaced by new people and you know the cast alters as it goes through Mm. like I'm not saying that it it always sticks to its guns like it will definitely an event will happen then it will pull the rug out from under you and just go "Ah, well now we fixed that so it does it definitely falls into some of those things sometimes but yeah you can pick it you can pick it up at number one and you can read it through and you can get everything you want from it and much like turtles much like uh some of the others we've looked at it has spin-offs as well i know i read a pink pink ranger series that was really good that was uh, like a standalone
1: which which is just called pink
2: (laughs) yeah no not to be confused with the artist pink
1: or the aerosmith song
2: Or the Aerosmith song, or just the colour. Don't be confused (laughs) by just the colour; it's not what it means. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I think if if you are somebody who's super into the kind of idea of superheroes, like pretty earnest superhero stories Mm. combined with classic adolescent angst, but want it in a concise package that you know doesn't doesn't require you to read lots of different crossover events and when there is a crossover event that is the book that's being released at that time like it's not happening alongside 40 other books you're expected to read and I think although it it is a bit sprawling in places and I think there are bits you can probably ignore if you wanted Mm. Not I true. think it keeps the package pretty streamlined and if you want long long term superhero storytelling, there aren't many better places other than Turtles, the best place for than to go to Power Rangers, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with basically everything you've said. I think it's it, it it feels nice and it feels streamlined and whilst it's clearly a big universe, it's a universe that's one two maybe three comics a month it's it's nice and yeah as you said concise it doesn't feel overwhelming at least Mm -hmm. okay some of shattered grid is a lot to take in but like um everything before that i think is pretty straightforward and just easy to pick up obviously one of the problems here is if if you haven't been into power rangers growing up i don't know how much this will appeal to you? I think it will. There will obviously be some imbalance on. If you went into Power Rangers, this might just not tick any of the boxes for you. This might feel strange and different.
2: <laughs> I, I think. I think the writing is, is of a decent enough quality to appeal just on the on the strength of its stories. But I know what you mean. Even Mighty Morphin, which is effectively a reboot, yeah, still drops you in. Uh, you know what looks like at least months if not years into the power rangers career like we're not getting their origin stories right off the bat mm. we're hitting you know we're straight in there um and yeah if you're brand new to power rangers that could be
1: a bit
2: weird, diff- a, bit, a bit of a hurdle to get over um but no i i think it's really rad and uh when where are their hardback sack I can
1: give you the answers, you're not gonna like it. <laughs> Are they everywhere? Uh no, there was a Oh, it's the Kickstarter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah there I was remember, a the, but... there was a quite limited run done of hardcovers for so it was year one, year two, year three, and then I think it was Shattered Grid, and then Beyond the Grid. So there's been five hardbacks so far, as far as I'm aware. Each very limited runs, so they kind of if you didn't get them as soon as they came out, they're gone. You can you can still get Shattered Grid and Beyond the Grid, mm-hmm. but the three from before that they don't exist. Uh, Boom kickstarted them uh, earlier this year, and I think yeah. hundred quid per volume. So it was five hundred quid for a Kickstarter and of books that have already been released. But this time you get them with nice slip covers. So mm-hmm. that's. That's well worth paying twice the price of the actual book. I I I don't agree with this because I I know that they were like fifty quid, forty quid a piece, and five hundred quid for five books seems steep.
2: Seems steep, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I think I'm with you there. Um, probably more, and no doubt it I had American shipping. It would probably cost us seventy dollars a book on top of all of that.
1: Yes. I was hoping that the amount of people who have backed the Kickstarter because it was, like, super funded would mean that a lot of people who'd already bought the hardbacks were going to be, like, selling those on eBay. Uh, and they are, but those versions on eBay are also extortionate because there are a lot of people who don't want to pay the Kickstarter price. So, <laughs> you
0: know, it would be a nice.
1: <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if this is part of, like, whether you're not allowed to
2: do this, but I've never seen anybody do it. Set a stretch goal that once you reach a certain amount, you start to reduce everybody's pledge.
1: I mean, that'd be pretty know, If we we get to a
2: 100,000 people, then we'll knock two quid off everybody's pledge, and for every 100 more we get, we'll knock another...
1: I I think that would be perhaps the the ideal version of it, especially on Kickstarter, where it's material that's already been made. So, like... Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the things with the boom Kickstarter for Power Rangers is the fact that it's like the books are done though, guys. We you've released them as paperbacks, as hardbacks. They're they're done. We we know. You know.
2: But I think yeah, I think it even makes sense to for, for a business. Like if a thousand people want it and a thousand people back it, then great, sell it to those thousand people and they can pay what it costs to produce one thousand books. But if a hundred thousand people want it, then your production costs like plummets Yeah, <laughs> you the- start doing it in bulk. And if you can promise that every time more people come onto it, the price literally drops. And for everybody, not just the people who are backing now, but the people who backed originally, you still make your money. You sell even more volumes. Get Boom on the phone. I've got this great idea.
1: <laughs> so- I, l- I like that you think I can get Boom on the phone. But- <laughs>
2: <laughs> get Monsieur Boom on the phone right now.
1: Oh god, I hope the person who runs Boom is like, hi, I'm Mr. Boom. <laughs> Mr. Brian Boom. Nice to
2: meet you. It is with an exclamation mark, so it's probably oh, yeah, Brian yeah, Boom yeah. every time.
1: And this is Miss Studios, and together we are. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I want it to be true. It's funny because it is true. Yeah, that's that's my story, I'm sticking to it. Um <laughs> Is this your second pick we're up to? Is that where this
2: is? I'm up to my number two now. And that number two uh, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Both versions. So a little bit like uh, Star Wars. It was originally published through Dark Horse. And their version was a continuation of the TV series. And effectively kind of filled in series nine through 12 and concluded the Buffy story.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so the TV show finished at eight, and then this picked up the reins, um, all with Joss Whedon's um, blessing. And I think he might have written at least the first volume, if not the yeah, first at least couple. Yeah, the first chunk. Yeah. Um, so that one is for like Buffy hardcore fans who just wanted more of what they got on TV. And a little bit, as we said, with the Star Wars Marvel books, they're a bit more photorealistic. They're trying to capture the actual looks of the actors who played those characters. Then in 2019, the license was picked up by Boom, and they have just sort of rebooted the universe, Mm -hmm. made it a bit more contemporary, brought it up to kind of modern day. So where the original, I guess, was set sort of between the 90s and the early noughties. Um, this is set with much more modern i don't know technologies and ideas and, and ideals and that sort of thing, and in this one they're not uh they're not trying to capture the actors they're a bit more cartoony in that again in that kind of boom house style, but they just capture the um intrinsic details of these characters, so Buffy's still blonde, and, yeah and you know angel's still handsome, i mean so is. Uh, Boreanis, but that's that's for a different podcast.
1: Um, I think one of the things that sticks with me with the Boom version is that when they released all the character designs as Z- of Xander, um, he was just me at the time. We we had the same hair. We, there's even one character design where we were in like this. I was looking at it whilst wearing like the same outfit. So, I, I can't help but feel like I'm owed some money for <laughs> um,
2: gimmick infringement. And I think it's. Yeah, yeah you should definitely uh, get Boom on the phone. We've, <laughs> we've got two things to bring up to them now. Um, but with the new series, I think they still cover quite a lot of the uh, important beats like uh, Hellmouth and. Etc. you know, the, the various beats uh, throughout the Buffy TV series. Yeah. I quite like to be able to uh, pick it up afresh and have the stories kind of reinterpreted and retold in a, in a different way. And as you were saying, it's like having the toy box, isn't it? It's like being a fan of something and then being told, here's all of the bits, make whatever you want to make with it. Yeah, And I feel that there's plenty of that. And uh, I, again, I think the series will, if not already, spin out into some other character books. Um, but if, yeah, if you're into like supernatural book kickery, mm. um, again, combined with that school <laughs> adolescent woes, I wonder if there's a pattern there, Um then I think this is the one for you. If you're super into the TV series, hunt down those Dark Horse volumes, because, uh, yeah, there's yeah. more story out there for you. And they come in massive hard bags. Or at least they did. I don't know if they still do. But That is good to know. There was an Angel series as well through Dark Horse, but I, I never...
1: And Spike that. as well, right? We get...
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there was. I
1: forgot about that. Um, I can't remember Mars. if there's anything else. Just remembering Spike's name. (laughs) Yeah. Spike, probably amongst my favourite Buffy characters. Doesn't he play Brainiac in Smallville as well? Oh, he might do, actually, yeah. And then he's one of the dads in uh, Runaways. Nice. Good old James Masters. He was also in, uh, he was Jack's brother in um, Torchwood. I need to get a life and stop chronicling James Masters' career. <laughs> yeah. uh, it may be, maybe be um uh, obviously, you know, it's now time to plug my secret James Masters <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we just run down what he's doing right now. Um, no, that doesn't exist yet. Um I didn't realise I was like so aware of his career until just now. Thanks, Will. That's uh,
2: You're welcome. I'm, I'm always um, here to enlighten you about your
1: own psyche sure that'll help if it was ever a pub quiz about him specifically about him <laughs> not about buffy like no just about james masters um should i be talking about something now is that what <laughs> i think
2: so like i mean you know i think buffy is uh the new series in particular is just really great but i, I think i said everything i was going to say about buffy
1: yeah no i i, I agree i didn't read much of the Dark Horse stuff. I kind of dipped in, and I just think I didn't have the time. I think when it was coming out, I was probably, let's be honest, halfway through reading something else that took me an eternity to read, because that's my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've checked out a little bit of the Boom stuff, and it is something that I, I want to catch up on at some point. So, yes. I'm, I'm also waiting for that uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Power Enders crossover you know it Uh, i don't know what you'd call that as a crossover because buffy the vampire slayer mighty morphing power rangers is too long mighty Morphin vampire slayer power vampire slayer power vampire is strong i don't know what it means but it sounds super dangerous vampire rangers Mm. Oh, man, Vampire Rangers kind of feels very similar to, you know, those uh, were the Psycho Rangers that were oh, in, yeah. Power Rangers in space, Lost Galaxy, who had the coolest character designs because they were just terrifying. So. <laughs> <laughs> just just really scary versions of the Power Rangers. Yeah. I mean, again,
2: it the Power I mean, I know we've gone back to a different series now, but <laughs> they do hit a lot of those classic comic beats such as, evil alternative versions. Mm. Love
1: it. That's what I'm all about. Lord Draken, baby. Um, which I think, again, I- I've cited it from a lot of things in past podcasts, alternate universes, evil doppelgangers, body swaps, time loops, all very 90s things and things that 90s kids still love as adults, I think is it's our burden. It is. It's our burden and we carry it
2: with greater aplomb.
1: And what a burden, you know. <laughs> so, my number two pick, we're on number two, right? I guess. Did you? Yeah. Did I go first? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You went first. Uh, so, my number two pick is perhaps massively out of character for me, but let's just let's run with it, and is, we're going back to IDW, baby. <laughs> Of course we are. This is like an IDW boom list. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna go with my little pony. Yes, please. Um So there there's a bunch of series. The the main one is Friendship is Magic. There have been some spin-offs, tie-ins, crossovers. Mm-hmm. Um whilst not echoing, like, the series too much. A lot of it does kind of follow, like, where the series is up to. So if you read a comic that's between, like, I don't know, season two and three, four and five, whatever, it's going to reflect any changes to the world of My Little Pony that we've seen. Sure. Um, which, I guess, makes sense. I also think the comic has now continued past the end of the series, so... That's interesting. And um, they also do a bunch of crossover, uh, not crossovers, a bunch of like team ups where they kind of take unlikely pairings from the cartoon universe and just throw them together and go, well, what would happen if these two characters were just miraculously teaming up for this adventure?
0: Mm-hmm. Which
1: is kind of fun and ridiculous. And um, I just think overall, as a series, much like the cartoon, it comes away with some really good positive messages and kind of. Does something ridiculous and cartoonish, but very well meaning and Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can't knock it. And um villain-wise, man, my little pony's got some strong villains. Yeah. Um n- not entirely a villain, but Discord, who is voiced by Q from Star Trek and um awesome. he is Q, he's just a god of chaos that's just good stuff and um yeah i just i just think it works as a comic and works as a cartoon as well so mm-hmm. what up? <laughs> <laughs>
2: come find me the internet so i've i've not i've not read any my little pony sadly um but i think uh, um this is going to sound a bit like a negative and I don't, I don't mean it that way. I'll try and explain why, but I think what a lot of these licensed products have in common and the reason they work so well when they're reinvented kind of for a new era or under a new design or whatever is because the characters are quite two dimensional. Literally in some cases. Well, yeah, very literally, (laughs) but also their character traits are their character traits kind of forever and they don't really evolve as individuals. Yeah, Raphael's always grumpy. Donnie but, does machines, etc. Um, but it's because of that that you can then place them in lots of different scenarios and see well how would this character then react to that scenario, knowing who they are and and like what yeah. they what they do and i think that's where the interest really comes from for me and it allows you to tell stories about much bigger things than the characters themselves it's not really about their personal journey it's mm. about how as a team or a family or whatever have kind of overcome a piece of adversity and there's normally a nice message packaged in with it as well so while i am all for you know complicated character writing and and depth in character Sometimes just having these almost templates you can pull and twist and mold into something which only vaguely resembles where it started, I think yeah. is brilliant. And I also think sometimes when creators are put in limitations, they can sometimes turn out, sometimes their best work, but often really great work,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because they have to be super creative within this Bubble. Bubble. Bubble's exactly it. Um, And I think a lot of these licenses, when they work, it is because of that, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I think um, basically, um, okay, maybe not Bond or Star Wars, but Power Rangers, um, or Buffy, Power Rangers, uh, My Little Pony, Transformers, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, often we see like these characters reduced to, like... Yeah, Donatello does machines, Raphael's grumpy, um, Leonardo's the leader, mm-hmm. like, much like Optimus Prime is the leader, or... Um, Rodimus? Twilight Sparkle's the leader. And I think that's the thing where, where we see... Often in cartoons, characters are assigned, like, a core... Concepts that basically, okay, a core concept is obviously something else, but you know what I mean—a concept at their (laughs) core that defines what their what their shtick is, a character trait which is them, yeah. Which then, when you're given the freedom of comics, which means you can explore that in a different sense, it lets us see like, how can you flip that and whilst you know their main trait is you know they're incredibly loyal or they're incredibly honest or whatever this this thing pushes is is a good thing what is the downside of that because that then opens the possibilities of what you can explore and what that character would learn from whatever situation and and i think that much much as it is with all the others i think that is one of the strengths of like character story time with my little pony is you can like <laughs> make them really good characters as the show has shown. Show has shown? That's show is feels shown. wrong. As as the series is demonstrated, there you go. <laughs> Flipping both words on you. Um you can make them really strong characters, but those concepts that like define them, then yeah, you can explore them in different ways. And when you don't have the restraints of, you know, half an hour's worth of TV or 20 to, I'm gonna do this, carry them I don't know, a uh, season's <laughs> worth of, of whatever it, I think you get some freedom to kind of run wild and see what ideas you want to explore And that, that's one of the strengths here um, I also think more people should watch My Little Pony Because not enough people have
2: You down tootin' Also, there is a, a crossover with Transformers Friendship uh, in Disguise baby which has the best tagline in any written medium ever to existed <laughs> except for maybe uh Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit uh cuz that's
1: we've, strong work and that we we've we've talked be about this a lot and it's such good stuff uh, just... there is a second Transformers Malapoli Transformers crossover going on now which is The Magic of Cybertron and I guess while the first one put the Transformers in Equestria, that's right. Um, the sequel puts the ponies in Cybertron, which I can't knock it. I don't know what you do for a third crossover, but <laughs> I mean, I do. My, my core tells me that the next one is like My Little Pony Ghostbusters or mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> My Little mm-hmm. Pony
1: TMNT, My Little Pony Usagi Yajimbo, that would get weird. Uh, they would all get weird. I think this is the thing: the the weirdness of crossing them over with the Transformers is also kind of the brilliance behind it. That it is so ludicrous that yeah, it should never ever fit,
2: and yet those puzzle pieces sit snugly ut- together.
1: Utterly nail it, and um, <laughs> I, I can't knock it. It's it's a good it's a good volume. I've not read the second crossover yet, but undoubtedly.
2: I'm going. I'm going. It's coming. (laughs) Superb. Right. Well, I'll crack on with my, with my final pick. And you'll be pleased to know it is not from boom and it is not from IDW. So it's a lie. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, my final pick and my top pick is avatar. The last airbender slash the legend of Korra comics, uh, that came out of dark horse
1: Yes, yes, they did. Interesting. Yeah, I think they've stopped now, haven't they? Have they done their last one? I think so. But so part what I just just suspect is that a boom going to pick this up. I was
2: going to say, watch this space while Boom go and buy that license. Um, but the stories continue and fill in gaps within the the two TV series, Avatar: The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, and unlike some of the others, are maybe not as easy to get in on the ground floor with. Mm. Um, because it has a, I, I think the, the fictional world that these stories exist in is really cool. I think it's a really like well-rounded and realized, uh, world and society that they live in. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes coming into that without a bit of foreknowledge about what the different countries kind of represent or the different regions, can be a bit tricky. But I would also recommend is just go and watch Avatar the Last Airbender and then immediately follow that by The Legend of Korra, because they're both just superb. And it's had a bit of a resurgence of late, hasn't it? I think. Did it come out on Netflix? And
1: yeah, I think uh, Avatar was added and then Cora was added a little bit later. Um I recently watched all of Korra. I think I've mentioned that on a podcast recently, maybe. Um And I'd never read any of the Avatar or Korra comics. And now that I've finished Korra, I kind of feel like I I probably want to quite a lot.
2: Yeah, man. (laughs) I just want to spend more time in that world. I love the the kind of magic system that they have or the powers system that they sort of embody is all based on martial arts. So it looks cool when people are kicking and fires coming out or (laughs) it looks super cool. Um, You're not wrong. (laughs) The characters are really great. Again, they do embody this kind of preset character. Um,
1: Yeah, 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 definitely.
2: But they're also all wildly different. They all feel unique. And so many of the characters are just so extremely likable. Varric, I hear you. Varric is the absolute man. I mean, uh, it reminded me of um, Seahawk
1: yeah that is exactly the comparison and i made She-ra. yeah um, that they are just exactly the same character in every sense <laughs> like they even look kind of similar there's the mustache and everything
2: oh it's, it's really good um <laughs> but you no know, I, I yeah i think the characters are great uh bolin's great yeah don't forget about, don't forget about my boy Bolin. Um... It's full of six-legged flying bison. Yeah, it is. Who doesn't who doesn't need more of that? And the stories are again a bit like the Sonic one, they're they're funny and they're really snappy dialogue and the characters bounce off each other really well. And there's just enough jeopardy in the stories to kind of keep you invested and, and keep you on the edge of your seat. But I would also say it it would be a great gift for any age. I think they are universally uh likable. I think that's been quite true of a lot of things on my list because, well, I'm a big old kid, really, and I take a lot of pleasure out of, <laughs> out of um,
1: kid stuff. That is entirely fair. Um, yeah, definitely to go and read the Avatar and Korra comics. and But should I wait until Boom start there? <laughs>
2: <sighs> well, with these ones, you can just you can sort of buy any volume because they're not co-current like one volume will tell a, a story at a very specific point in time. Okay. And, then, and the next one could be during the series, after the series. I mean, is there, is it a hundred years between the last airbender and the legend of Korra?
1: Yeah. I think it is. I don't know if it's dead on a hundred years, but it's like.
2: Somewhere around. Ish, yeah. yeah. So there's quite a lot of gap, quite a lot of story to tell in that period of Ang. Like, we know that he grows up and has children, but you don't... You never really see that. You just see... Yeah, us we,
1: the kids. We, we get a few little flashbacks, particularly in the, like, first season of Korra, or first two seasons, but we don't really see the the great landscape of what's happened. Also, Ang must have been crazy old, and Tenzin must be crazy old. A <laughs> hundred years to only have two generations in it seems like a long time right that's not just me well i mean how old's ang at the end of the is he like 13 maybe but Toph's still alive man there's a lot of questions
2: Mm. (laughs) maybe it's much less time and i've I've yeah maybe
1: we're just determined it's 100 years and it's been like 40 years (laughs) 20 years later it's like oh that makes more sense it's definitely more than 20 because tenzin is like
2: the 50s? Been planes 60s. and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> like right. you technology's know, that's, moved on quite a lot.
1: That takes like thousands of years. Um, I don't know. This is beside the point. I but... know, We're really showing our science knowledge here. Yeah. Um,
2: but no, I, it's something that I really, really love. Uh, I think the whole series and the world and the concepts and the characters are absolutely top. And if you've not watched it, go and watch it. If you have watched it and you just want more, Go and watch it again. <laughs> Go and watch it again. There's a volume that's come out, and I haven't read it yet, but I've got my eye on it. It's like how Toff invented metal ben- ben- bending and
1: like creating oh, the, met- the metal bending school. So I want me some of that. Yeah, that that actually sounds pretty rad. Let's be honest. Um, so does that mean this is my number one pick? Time? This is your big crowning pick. A big crowning pick. That sounds really weird. Um, so. We're going back. We're going back home to IDW. Um, And to something that I actually started reading right before I started rereading All the Turtles. And um, I haven't finished yet, but I I will. Which is Ghostbusters. Um, It was started up in, I I want to say about 2013-ish by uh, eric burnham and dan shoning who seem to have stuck with it for quite a significant chunk of time
2: I think it's always good if you can like if the creative team stay the same
1: yeah and i think uh, i think tom waltz has dipped in and out he seems to be the head of all things at uh, idw mm-hmm.
0: um
1: so i read the first volume of ghostbusters kind of the end of last year um not long before deciding to read some turtles and we all know how well that went. Um, and was pretty surprised because I, I I didn't really have much of an expectation and yet like, okay, I'm into this. And it kind of immediately reminded me what it is I like about Ghostbusters and what it is I liked about the real Ghostbusters and extreme Ghostbusters. And I think the cartoon, style kind of bleeds over into dan shoning's artwork in it, fa- it kind of feels like if this was a cartoon that followed and extreme ghostbusters and this was like whatever the next one I-, I think it does look the way i would expect that cartoon to look it looks like someone who's taken on board what the previous shows looks like what the film looks like um and we kind of start off with Ray dealing with the guilt of summoning the marshmallow man and having nightmares about a giant ray marshmallow man destroying new york <laughs> um and I, so, so i've i've read the first couple of volumes and then i have dipped in with obviously the turtles crossovers which uh, yeah give me some spoilers i didn't need yeah um but i don't know i i just think the there's something about it that immediately kind of Made me realize just how much I do love Ghostbusters and made me go out and buy the ridiculous deluxe edition Blu rays with the steel books and the. <laughs> uh,
2: no, completely with you. I loved Ghostbusters. Um, the films were a big, big part of my childhood. And in fact, I think perhaps one of the first ever comics or comic related medium I think I ever had was an annual of the real Ghostbusters comic, which was based on the animated series Yeah, uh, from the late 80s. It I must say. be right. It must be like... I think the comic came out in 88, so I think the TV series must have been...
1: Slightly before that, 87, yeah. 86? I when so. was the film? <laughs> uh, about 80s, mid-80s. Yes, thank you. (laughs) uh, But yeah, huge fan of Ghostbusters, and I think because of that, the the comic series, when I I finally got around to it, immediately reminded me why. My first interaction, I
2: think, with Ghostbusters, this version of the comic was in the TMNT crossover.
1: Okay, yeah. I, I feel like that's not the ideal beginning to... I'm not
2: sure it was either, but... Um, as I say, my my love for these characters and the version of New York that they live in. Um,
1: yeah, which is fundamentally ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I've got to say the new the trailer for the new film. I know that uh, because of the world that we live in, people will hate it automatically without having seen more than the trailer, um, because it doesn't star the same three old white men that it used to. <laughs>
1: yeah that that's obviously the problem um, um or uh the best character winston of course um but
2: as soon as like they pull out the old ghost trap from a dusty cupboard and the music kicks in man my hairs are on end my goosebumps I, are up like i am
1: um we haven't covered this but we definitely need to go and see Ghost ghostbusters Afterlife together sure. um yeah, I'm really into it with the trailer and did you see the little they, they released a scene with like Bill Murray reacting to a scene in a supermarket with loads of little marshmallow men. And yes, yes please. I yeah. am I'm I'm really into it and I know people you you're right people will hate it like people had written off um answering the call before it came out. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what? No, it's not great, but it's not terrible either. It's no. it's fine. <laughs> it's
2: fine. It's perfectly serviceable.
1: Um. Also, Dan Aykroyd's can, cameo in it. I, I can't remember the full dialogue. I just know they tell him he needs to get out of the city, and he's like, ends with I'm not afraid of no ghosts. And what more do you need? It's, it's all the Dan Aykroyd I've ever need. I mean, to be fair, I think an, an unfortunate amount of my childhood is based around Dan Aykroyd and... My dad's love of the Blues Brothers mm-hmm. um, with good reason, which I feel like we've discussed on a previous podcast, but where's oh, my yeah. Blues Brothers comic? Yeah, right. I don't know Blues what it involves. <laughs> <laughs> Just two idiots mo- making the way across Chicago playing gigs. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. No twist. No, <laughs> no. Um In It could even be from the Ghostbusters no team for me. Yeah. But yeah, I am. Um, Really liked what I read of Ghostbusters and I am looking forward to jumping back into it following my, you know, TMNT. I'm going to take a little IDW break where I, like, you know, consider that there are other publishers for a few months. Mm-hmm. And But after that, I think Ghostbusters is going to be my next thing. I do know all the hardcovers are out of print for this one. Sorry to disappoint. Nice. I know the first one was called Total Containment and was like the containing thing that they put all the ghosts in. I think the second hardback was like a ghost trap. And I think one of them, the third was the proton pack. Um, And they've all been yeah discontinued and people sell them for astronomical prices on eBay. (laughs) Boo. Great. So I am probably not in hardback form, but I'm going to carry on with my Ghostbusters reading and um, probably have a really good time, I guess. I am... I'm also going to just watch the films over and over again. I think now that I've can do other things other than reading tales. Yeah, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just love
2: ghostbusters. Stuff in it. I think it, yeah, it's just such a huge part of my, of my formative years. I had all the toys, Ecto one, yeah. proton pack, the fire station, so many like iconic
1: I never had the five sets, but
2: so good. So yeah. No, I think overall I think the point being of today's podcast was to highlight a bunch of licensed products, which I think by their very nature tend to get a pretty bad name. Like they are a a, a cheap um kind of money spinner from an, an existingly popular brand.
1: Yeah, of course. And I I can understand why. Don't wrong, sometimes there are some incredibly cynical mm-hmm. um comics released, like much like there's incredibly cynical spin-offs for everything that are are the cash grab that they seem. But I think the further we get from like the peak Transformers success of the 80s or the peak Turtles success of the early 90s, peak Ghostbusters success of 1980 something um, or Buffy you know let's be honest Buffy was what over by 2002, 2004 maybe I so, yeah. and I, I, I think the legitimate nostalgia is the thing that brings a lot of these things back I don't think I don't think there's as much of a cat desperate cash in as there is with even stuff from Marvel at times I think
2: No I think you're right that a lot of people who love those things then are the writers now. So they're yep. bringing back those things. And let's be frank, comics aren't that big a money spinner. No, so, there is that side of it. In order for you to sell a comic on a licensed product, and realistically I have more than four issues, there has to be something about it, because comics fans will pick stuff up and throw it in a fire like, immediately if it's, if it's really trash. And I say there are... I've seen Bloodborne comics and Halo comics and et cetera, in the same way that you get these things in novelizations as well. <laughs> like, yeah. who would ever once uh, doom the novelization? I, I don't know. But forget them. <laughs> F- find anything that's got more than like 20 issues, or just consult our excellently curated list today.
1: Yeah, we've given you 10 that are worth the look.
2: And have a good time, because there's tons of stuff out there. And I just think licensed products shouldn't be overlooked immediately. I think there is loads of quality.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, I agree with what you've said, and I, I also think, though, if if you want some Bloodborne, go read some Bloodborne comics. You know?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it might not be for me, but knock yourself out.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's one of the keys to the license things. It's like if, if you were super into My Little Pony or Buffy or whatever, you're pro- you're probably going to find something you like about the comics. It's yeah, it's just truth, just inevitable. So um, I think that's us. I think that's us done. Um, so we've been Will and Zach. This has been bigger than capes. And remember that comics are bigger Bigger than than capes.
0: capes.